morning, Church on the Trail. We are good morning. Oh, thank you. I love that. I love it when y'all talk back. It's great. Good morning. We are so happy that y'all have decided to spend your Sunday morning with us here at Church on the Trail. Our mission is to help people find their way back to God and to grow. Um, a couple of announcements we have for you guys. Our 412 student ministry will be meeting on the church land tonight from 6 to 730. Um, and then we also have a 412 camping event coming up. Um, in a couple weeks, if you need more information about that, you can go ahead and get with me or my husband, Zach, or message us at students at churchonthetrail.com. And then we also have um, Life Track coming up, which is a three-week course where you can really just dive into the DNA of our church and learn about what we are here. So turn it over to this incredible band. <laughs> all right. Good morning. Let's all stand up. We're going to worship together. Start clapping, come on. Sing this together, our God of firm foundation. Sing it with me. Our God of firm foundation, our rock, the only solid ground. The nations rise and fall. Kingdoms once strong, now shaken. We trust forever in your name name of Jesus and we trust the name oh and we trust the name of Jesus you are the only king forever almighty God we lift you higher you are the only king forever forevermore you are victorious you are the only king forever Almighty God, we lift you higher. You are the only King forever, forevermore. You are victorious. And unmatched in all your wisdom, lift it up. Unmatched in all your wisdom, in love justice you will reign and every knee will bow we bring our expectations our hope is anchored in your name the name of Jesus and we trust and we trust the name of Jesus the only king forever almighty god we lift you higher you are the only king forever forevermore you are victorious you are the only king forever almighty god we lift you higher you are the only king forever forevermore you are victorious 
your hands together. We're going to sing it out. We lift the mighty name. And we lift the banner high. We lift the name of Jesus. From age to age you reign. Your kingdom has no end. We lift our banner high. We lift the name of Jesus. From age to age you reign. Your kingdom has no end. You are the only king forever. Almighty God, we lift you higher. You are the only king forever, forevermore. You are victorious, you are the only king forever. Almighty God, we lift you higher. You are the only king forever, forevermore. You are victorious.
God is good, isn't he? Death cannot hold you, cannot hold you. Little before you, you silence the voice. I sing down the night. Heaven's alright. Raise up your mind. For you are
good morning. Hey, good morning, Church on the Trail. I'm Lonnie Freeman, one of the elders here. We're at a time in our service where we worship the Lord through our offering. We realize that trusting the Lord with our finances is often the very last act of submission to him. But know that your giving fuels the many ministries of Church on the Trail, like our children's and youth ministries, our nursing home ministry called Joyful Hearts, our foster prevention ministry called Generations, and our M2540 Street and Homeless Ministry, to name a few. Your giving makes these ministries possible and will, and will without a doubt make a difference in someone's forever. So please consider going all in for the Lord as he went all in for us. Amen. Amen. Let us all go to the Lord in prayer now. Lord, please bless and multiply these gifts that are received today and use them to bring glory to you and grow your kingdom. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Good morning, y'all. Good morning, good morning. Let me move this or I may have to sing and y'all don't want that to happen. Nah, you really don't want me to sing. It would be ugly. Y'all know what ugly is? Some, some people who may be Vanderbilt fans would say yesterday was ugly, but I say it was a beautiful day. Um, but look, we had, I want to tell you a couple things before we get started. First of all, I guess my name is Ed Griffin Hagen. I'm one of the pastors on our staff at Church on the Trail. I'm really am super thankful that you are here. Uh, actually, before we do that, I want to pray. Um, we got a pretty fair number of people that were exposed to COVID one day during this week, and I just want to lift them up. Lord, we love you today. We thank you for your grace and mercy. Lord, we thank you for your, for your sovereignty that uh, you don't wake up in the morning and say, ooh, I didn't see that coming, that surprised me. No, you are sovereign over everything. And so, Lord, we pray that you would just rid our planet of, of at the end of the day of all sickness. But, Lord, that you would protect your people, that you would um, keep the folks that were exposed one day this week, Lord, that you would keep them safe, that you would keep them sound, that they would keep their eyes and their hearts focused on you. In Jesus' name, amen. So, so y'all, we had a, uh, a, a conference Friday night and Saturday morning, three hours Friday night, four hours Saturday morning this week, this weekend, <coughs> called How to Study the Bible. It was super cool. There was probably 50 people here, and we were just digging into how it is that we study Scripture, and, uh, and it was a fun time. We're going to do that maybe once or twice a year. And so if you weren't able to come to that uh, this weekend, just know that, that the next time we do it come, it was really good. And I want to ask a couple of little questions. Got a couple of t-shirts. Somebody tell me how many books there are in the New Testament. Thank you. Dude, praise God one of our elders knows how many books there are in the New Testament. Our yardstick is low, Lonnie. Um, all right, how about... Oh... What's the, what's the first book of the New Testament? Thank you. Thank you. Those were easy questions. Everybody should have just been screaming out Matthew. Um, I got two more things probably to say before we jump into the message. If this is your first time here or if this is your second or third time here, but you've never gotten one of these little welcome kits and, and uh, Caitlin introduced uh, everybody this morning when she welcomed y'all to a thing called Life Track, which is 
we walk through the DNA of our church. It's, if you had to use the word membership, it's a membership class. It's three Sundays. But this little welcome kit, if you've never gotten this, this kind of lets you know about our church because um, we don't go really go through that every Sunday, uh, every Sunday morning. But So if, if you have not ever received one of these and, and you want one, it's really a good little kit. If you, and, and inside of here is a connection card. There's also a connection card on the seat back in front of you. And if it's your first time, if you'd fill that little connection card out, just let us know that you were, <clears throat> that you were here. Bring that connection card to the, um, to the connections desk outside. We'll give you a really cool coffee mug. And I'm not going to go tackle you in the parking lot. You know, me and Susan are not going to show up at your house with an apple pie. But we just want to know who you are, that you were here, and that we can ultimately so that our leadership team and our church can pray for you and your family. That's really why we do all of that. So if you'd raise your hand and somebody will get one of these into your hands. Um, I think that that is, well, one more thing. You notice all that stuff outside. That's all growth groups and life groups. And at Church on the Trail, we, those are two different things. Growth groups are mostly all Bible studies or some kind of gathering that's usually on a weekly basis, maybe every other week. But then we also have life groups. And the life groups are, for the most part, once a month. Some of them are twice a month, but they're not intended to be a big, deep Bible study. They're intended for us to have dinner together, have lunch together, um, maybe have a little bit of a devotional. There's an evangelistic kind of component to it to invite your friends that aren't connected to a church somewhere to just come and have a, <clears throat> have a hot dog with you or something like that. It's a whole lot easier, y'all, for somebody to say yes to that question uh, if you ask them to come just have dinner with you and some friends than it is, hey, you want to come to church on Sunday. Now, I want them to come to church, but that initial, if it's onboarding, can be just to come have dinner together. Those life groups are intended to do life together. Like I want everybody in a growth group, like I want everybody studying scripture because it'll change your life because the guy that wrote it will change your life. <clears throat> but so I do want everybody to be in a growth group. But everybody's not going to be in a growth group. I get that. I ain't stupid. I mean, I, I get that. But we really want everybody to be in a life group because you can, you can do a once-a-month thing. And when I talk about us locking arms together and being in relation, we are wired to be in relationship with each other. God has wired us up that way. In a, in a massive way, he's wired us up to be in relationship with each other. And all that's gone on in the last year and a half in the world, I guess, has been the total antithesis of that. It is isolate you, get you staying at home, get you quarantined, get you separated from the people that you're in relationship with. It's not the way we're wired up to be. We're wired up to be to love on each other. We're wired up to when, when something happens great in your life, that you can share that joy together when something happens tragic in your life because y'all know both those things happen, right? When something tragic happens that the people you're in relationship with under the umbrella of the Lord can bear that burden with you. And you can't do that if you're sitting at home alone all the time playing video games or something. So life groups are meant to, so that we can stir each other up in the Lord. So just know that. One more thing. I'll do that until this until 11 o'clock. I'm going to give a shameless plug to two growth groups. I'm sorry. Shameless plug to two growth groups. We have a marriage growth group um, that starts 
where's Norman? What, what? October the 3rd, Sunday night, 6 o'clock. Norman and Sharon Dunlap are leading this marriage growth group. My wife and I are going. They've been married for 45 years, 46 years. Y'all, there's wisdom in somebody that's been, a couple that's been married for 46 years. I want to encourage everybody, if you're thinking about getting married, come to that growth group. Norman will talk you out of it. No, he won't. But, <laughs> but it's going to be great. That's one I want to encourage uh, if you're thinking about getting married or if you are married. And if your marriage is just a bed of roses all the time like mine is, we're still going to that growth group. And then there's another one called um, What Every Christian Ought to Know, which is a fundamental kind of, um, if you are new to the faith, it's a fantastic group. If you just kind of want to know all the, the basic beliefs that are under the umbrella of Christianity, uh, what every Christian wants to know, there's a table out there for it. And there's tons of different growth groups. So if you're leading one and I didn't plug it, you know, talk to Susan about it. I mean, don't, it's, it's okay. It's okay. Now let's talk about, uh, what we're going to talk about. You know, last week we we're walking through the book of Acts and we have different series is within that. And we're in a series, we're at the tail end of a series called growth, which is the initial growth of the church. The birth of the church, that was the first series in Acts. And now we're in this initial growth period of the early church in the book of Acts. And we're in chapter 5. Last week, um, we, were, we, we walked through from verse 12 to 25. And we saw this first persecution in Acts. This first persecution in and uh, Peter and John are thrown in jail. And during the night, an angel of the Lord let them out. There's a guard at the, door, at the gate uh, or at the, at the gate of their cell. But an angel of the Lord uh, got freedom. And as soon as, they, as soon as the angel freed them, they wake up and they go, what are they arrested for? Somebody tell me what they're arrested for. Preaching the gospel. Throws, throw them in jail. Angel of the Lord lets them out. They immediately go and do what? They go preach the gospel. So that's where we were. So, so we're going to show up today in verse 26 and walk through verse 41 or 2. But what, what, but what we're going to see is we're going we're to see obedience and we're going to see them obeying and we're going to see commitment and we're going to see all inness. That's what we're going to see in these verses. We really saw it at the beginning of, of chapter 5 as well. But this, this, this passage kind of shows us that we need to be loyal that we need to be committed, that we need to be all in, that we need to obey. When the Lord says something, we need to obey that. Now, that obedience is not what saves us. So don't think that this is some legalistic thing. No, 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 no. We're going to obey because he saved us. Now, there is a relationship between obedience and faith, and we're going to get to that in a little bit. But this passage is about that loyalty, and it's about the obedience. You know, my sister... Uh, in 1976, my older sister, she was in, for the summer of 76, she was in Israel. She went on, it's called Aliyah. Anybody, if you're Jewish, you can go on Aliyah to Israel. Pilgrimage is what that means. And you can go and, and it's free. They're not going to let me go anymore for free, but, but <laughs> no, definitely not. But my sister was there for the summer of 1976 she was there from like the middle of June until, uh, until August. And in July of 76, anybody know what happened in, in July of 76? 
An El Al, that's the Israeli commercial airlines, an El Al plane was hijacked in 76 in, in July, and it was hijacked to Uganda. And uh, Israel, the IDF, the Israeli Defense Forces, the Mossad, Israel don't negotiate with no terrorists. They just get her done. There's no negotiating with terrorists. And so you got this plane, and I think there was about 250-something people on it. Well, when they landed, they let all the people off the plane that were, that were not Jewish, and they kept the, it was about 100 Jews that they kept, and they were holding them hostage in the airport in, in, in Tebi, uh, Uganda. And so in July, when that happened, uh, Israeli special operators in the IDF made a really daring raid. And if you've ever seen the movie, it was called Raid on Entebbe. It's a cool story. But these, the, 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 the special operators in the IDF made this raid, and in 15 minutes, the soldiers had killed all seven of the hijackers, uh, all seven of these kidnappers, along with 45 Ugandan um, soldiers, and they set the captives free. There was 11 Soviet-made uh, MiG-17s and MiG-21s that were in the uh, Ugandan Air Force that those were destroyed as well. Now, as successful as that raid was, as successful as that rescue was, three hostages were killed during the raid. There was actually one soldier, one Israeli soldier that died. Um, matter of fact, my sister went to that funeral when she was there. But what happened is those commandos entered that terminal in, in, in Tebi. They shouted in Hebrew, get down and crawl as soon as they walked in. Well, all, the, all the, the Israelis, the Jewish Israelis that were on the plane, what language do you think the commandos screamed it in? They screamed it in Hebrew, and all of them knew what they said, and they, you know, and they hit the floor. The, the kidnappers, the guerrillas, did not, and, and the IDF took all of them out all of because the, they were standing up. Two of the hostages hesitated, and unfortunately, and maybe they were trying to see what was going on, but they, they were killed in that as well. And one young man was lying down, and for some reason, he actually stood up. And so three of the hostages lost their, their life. He, <clears throat> and they were shot with bullets that were meant for the enemy. And had those three heeded the soldiers' commands, had they obeyed those soldiers' commands, They'd have been freed with the rest of the captives. And y'all, salvation is open to all of us. But we have got to heed the words of Christ. Heed the words of Christ to repent, to make him the Lord. Because if we don't, we're going to perish with the judgment that is meant for the enemy. And so we're going to talk about obedience today. We're going to talk about loyalty. And we're going to talk about, about commitment. And in particular, we're going to talk about the reasons. We see the reasons in this passage, the reasons to obey, the reasons for that, for that loyalty. And I want to read through this, and it's kind of a long passage. But I want to read through this passage, and then we'll kind of, kind of uh, pick it apart a little bit. And if you remember, in this series on Acts, we're using... A different translation, you know, we usually, uh, I always have preached out of the ESV, the English Standard Version, but for this pass of this uh, series, we're using the complete Jewish Bible, and so don't forget that because there's some Hebrew words that are in there, and I'll explain those to you, but that's what we're using for this series. So let me jump into verse 26. Now remember, we're on the heels of the angel freeze. Peter and John, they're arrested for preaching the gospel. The angel frees them. 
and they go right back out to Solomon's colonnade and they're doing what? Okay, they're preaching the gospel. They're preaching a resurrected Jesus. Verse 26 says, the captain and his officers went and brought them. Who's them? It's Peter and John. And it may have been other ones of the, of the apostles too, but it was Peter and John. Captain and his officers went and brought them, but not with force because they were afraid of being stoned by the people. Who's the they there? They, the officers that arrested him, were they, because there's a bunch of people. Anybody remember how many, how many believers at this time there probably were? 10, 15,000 all in, you know, five or six weeks. So, so they took them kind of gently or not with force because they were afraid of being stoned by the people. They conducted them to the Sanhedrin. They, they brought them to the Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin was like the court. It was made up of Pharisees and Sadducees, a bunch of them. So they brought them to the Sanhedrin where the Kohen Haggadol, that's the high priest, demanded of them. He said to them, we gave you strict orders not to teach in this name. And look here, you have filled Jerusalem, Jerusalem with your teaching. Moreover, you're determined to make us responsible for this man's death. Now let me say something real quick about verse 28. We gave you strict orders not to teach in this name. They won't even say the name. They won't say the name. That's 2,000 years ago, right? Right? Today, right now, you, that has made its way all the way down to 2021. You will struggle to find someone who's Jewish to say the name Jesus. All, I never, I never, it would never come out of my mouth for 37 years. I, it would never come out of my dad's mouth, or my, and it still doesn't. Come out, I don't know what it is. They will not say the name. And so you find that throughout Acts. You will struggle to find anyone that is Jewish in the book of Acts or in Columbus, Georgia, that is Jewish to say that name. So he says, we gave you, the high priest, we gave you strict orders. Don't be teaching in that name. And you done filled the streets of Jerusalem up with that teaching. Well, what's the teaching? The resurrection of the Christ. And he says, moreover, you're trying to make us responsible for his death. And Kepha, Peter, and the other emissaries, the other apostles answered, we must obey God, not men. If we got to choose, we're choosing to obey God and not men. The God of our fathers raised up Yahshua, Jesus, whereas you men killed him by having him hanged on a stake. And God has exalted this man at the right hand as ruler and savior in order to enable Israel to do teshuva, is repentance, to allow Israel to repent and have her sins forgiven. We are witnessing, excuse me, we are witnesses to all this. We're witnesses to these things. And so is the, the, the Ruach HaKodesh, the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who do what? Who obey him. On hearing this, the members of the Sanhedrin were infuriated. They was mad and they wanted to put the emissaries to death. But one of the members of the Sanhedrin rose to his feet, a Perush, a Pharisee named Gamliel. And Gamaliel, as an aside, Gamaliel was uh, the apostle Paul. Paul was a, was a disciple of Gamaliel. We don't see that in this passage, but just know Gamaliel discipled Paul. So Gamaliel, a teacher of the Torah, highly respected by all the people, he ordered the men put outside for a little while, and then he addressed the court. Men of Israel, so this is Gamaliel talking to probably 50 or 60 Pharisees and Sadducees. He says, men of Israel, take care what you do to these people. Some time ago, there was a rebellion under Todah who claimed to be somebody special. 
and a number of men, maybe 400, rallied up behind him. But upon his, his being put to death, the whole following was broken up and came to nothing. And after this, Yehuda Haglili, which is Judas of Galilee, he led another uprising back at the time of the enrollment for the Roman tax, back at the time of the census. And he got some people to defect to him. But he was killed and all his followers were scattered. So you got two cases where it just came to nothing. Verse 38, so in the present case, this Gamaliel still talking, my advice to you is not to interfere with these people, but leave them alone. For if this idea or this movement has a human origin, it will collapse. But if it is from God, you will not be able to stop them. You might even find yourselves fighting God. And so they heeded his advice. After summoning the emissaries and flogging them, they beat them. They commanded them not to speak in the name of Yahshua and let them go. The emissaries left the Sanhedrin overjoyed at having been considered worthy of suffering disgrace on account of him. And not for a single day, either in the temple court or in private homes, not for a single day did they stop teaching or proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. So they're rearrested. They're out there preaching the, the, um, preaching the gospel again, and they're arrested again. This is like the second persecution that we see in Acts. So the, the captain and his guys go out there and, and they arrest them, but not, it's funny that the Bible says not with force because the, the, the high priest and the temple police and his deputies, they all kind of feared an upright in the Sanhedrin feared an uprising by the people, so they kind of gently arrested them. I don't know how you gently arrest somebody, but they did. But they bring them into the Sanhedrin, right? You know, they were arrested without, I guess you could say, without violence. So they're taken before the Sanhedrin court, the ruling uh, body of the government. Three charges are brought against them. Three charges. Number one, they had, they had broken the specific law that the name not be spoken about, that the name not be proclaimed. Like, don't be saying that name. Y'all, is there power in that name? So why do you think they didn't want the name spoken? Because there is power in the name. The Jews revered Adonai the Lord in Scripture. When they're copying Scripture, we talked about this yesterday. When the scribes are copying scripture and they come to the name of the Lord in scripture, because you know there was no printing press and people didn't have laptops printing stuff on some big high-speed printer, they're copy, they're making copies. Well, they had to go be ritually cleansed before they write the name of the Lord. There is power in, in God's name. Well, Jesus is God. And so they don't want that name spoken. They don't want it spoken. So that's number one. They don't want the resurrection spoken. And that ruling came, we're in Acts 5, right? That ruling came from chapter 4 we talked about, I mean, two or three weeks ago probably. And this was the deal, if you remember, this guy, this beggar at the beautiful gate in the temple. Y'all remember that conversation? And he's crippled and he's laying at the, at the beautiful gate in the temple and Peter and John. It's that whole narrative. And so this law sort of came out of that. Because in Acts chapter 4, it, here's what it says in verse 18. So they called him in again, which was Peter and John, and ordered them under no circumstances to speak or teach in that name. And so they're breaking that law again. Now think about this. Believers, and more and more this is true, sometimes are forbidden 
to speak for the Lord by, by governments, by businesses, by fellow workers, by, uh, by schools, by institutions, by neighbors. We're forbidden to speak about the Lord. But what does Acts chapter 1 verse 8 say? And whose words are in Acts chapter 1 verse 8? It says, but you will receive power. Who's, who's saying this? The risen Christ. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses. Where? In Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and out to the ends of the earth. Those are the last words of Jesus Christ. The last word says, be my witnesses. Well, the Sanhedrin say, they say, don't be his witnesses. Don't even say his name. And so if I've got to choose, what are they? If I've got to choose personally, if I'm going to listen to men or if I'm going to listen to God, I'm, I'm going with what Jesus' last words are. So that number one, that's the first kind of law that they broke. Number two, they were thought, the apostles, they were thought to have, um, to have taught a false doctrine. None of the Sadducees believe in resurrection. So they were thought to have taught a false doctrine, a doctrine that misled and stirred up people, number two. Number three, they were thought to have, to have threatened insurrection. That's what the Sanhedrin, the Jewish leadership, that's what they thought the guys were doing that they're stirring up trying to start insurrection. To, and because they, they say, at least they propose to say, that they were falsely accused of injustice and of murder. Look back at, at Acts chapter 4. It's Peter's second sermon. You know, his first sermon is at Pentecost. He lays the gospel out in Acts chapter 2. And in Acts chapter 4, he kind of does almost a mirror image of that. And he's talking about... Um, He's talking about this guy getting healed at the gate again. And he said, it's in the name of Yahshua from Nazareth, from Jesus of Nazareth. It's in his name that that guy is healed. And, and he goes on and he says, whom you, and he's pointing to the Sanhedrin in Acts 4. You executed him on a stake as a criminal. And so the leaders feared that they would lose control of the people. The leaders feared that they would lose the people's support, that they would lose the people's loyalty. And they knew full well that their, that their position, their leadership positions, and their livelihood was at stake. So they arrest them again. They're charged with those three things. Now, you got to note and understand that the truth mattered very little to, to the Sanhedrin's leadership. The truth just didn't really matter. They had killed Christ. They had him killed. And really, they kind of fully accepted responsibility. If you think about when Jesus is arrested, who sold him out? Judas sells him out for some money, 30 shekels, sells, sells 30-somethings, sells him out. He gets arrested, and he's in front of Pontius Pilate, if you all remember this. He's in front of Pilate in Matthew chapter 27. says this. When Pilate saw that he was a cop, because Pilate's standing up there, there's a big crowd of people. He's standing next to Jesus, bloody, been beaten, got a crown of thorns hammered into his skull. And Pilate is talking to the people, and, and here's what he says. Pilate is like, he knew this whole conversation was coming to nothing. 
he kind of saw that there's a riot about to start. And so what does he do? Anybody know what Pilate did? He washed his hands. Literally washed his hands and figuratively washed his hands. He says, what does he say? He says, my hands are clean of this man's blood. Clean. It's y'all's responsibility. And anybody know, remember what they said, what all the people said? That's right. They said, his blood is on us and our children. And what they needed to do and what the Sanhedrin, fast forward a year and a half or two in Acts chapter 5, they needed to confess their guilt and they needed to repent of their sins. That's what they needed to do. And, it, and it's, there's a striking difference that you see in the response of the disciples. They must be loyal to God and they must obey God and not men. So I want to talk about those. There's, you, we see three or four reasons for that. So number one is this. The disciple has got to be loyal. He's got to obey God, he or she, because God has raised up and has exalted his son, has exalted Christ. Verse 30. The God of our fathers raised up Yahshua, whereas you men killed him by having him hung up on a stake, and God has exalted him as, as the ruler and as the savior. Period? No, there's not a period. Why did he do that? In order to enable Israel to repent and, and have her sins forgiven. I believe there's three, two or three reasons, two or three purposes for, raised, for, for, for Christ being raised. It was to make him, and this, these verses tell us, to make him the ruler, to make him the savior, to be able to provide repentance, to open up the world to repentance, and then to give and provide forgiveness of sin. To provide, and repentance is a major component of the forgiveness of sin. And so he is called a ruler. He's called a ruler, and that's a, a, a leader, a, a pioneer, the beginner, the finisher. Jesus Christ is the ruler of life and he is the ruler of salvation. As a savior, what does that word savior mean? It means a, a, a deliverer. To be saved is to be delivered. And it has the idea of, of a deliverer or a savior who snatches a person from some terrible disaster that is going to end ultimately in their perishing. I remember the feeling when I got saved. The feeling was... I had two and a half feet in the pit of the grave and I was rescued. There's a rescue kind of feeling that is along with, you know, being saved. He's the savior. He's the deliverer. He's the, he's the rescuer. And I remember that feeling was like, I'm, I'm perishing. I'm dying. I'm rotting. And, and this hand just reached down and, and just pulled me up out of the pit and I was rescued. That is what being the Savior is all about. So he said to be the Savior. Look at Luke, and it's throughout Scripture, y'all, that word. Look at Luke chapter 2. Do I have it written on the screen? I do, down at the bottom. It's the birth narrative. It says, this very day in the town of David, there was born for you a deliverer who is the Savior, the Messiah, <clears throat> is the Savior, the Lord. In 2 Peter chapter 1, it says, Thus you will be generously supplied with everything you need to enter the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Yahshua, Jesus. He's called the Savior, the Deliverer throughout Scripture. In 1 John chapter 4, it says, Moreover, we have, we have seen and we testify that the Father has sent His Son as Deliverer, as the Savior of the world. 
So number one, to reason to be loyal, to be committed, to be to obey the Lord is that he's been exalted to the right hand of the Father. Number two is because he has made us witnesses. Again, what, what he made Peter and John witnesses, they got arrested twice. They got two felonies like in, in two days for being a witness. He's made us a witness. We got to be loyal and obedient to that. Look at verse 32. It says, we are witnesses to these things. And so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who do what? Those who obey him. And so we got to be obedient and we got to be loyal because we're a witness to these things. Well, what things? What are the, these things? It's the things that, it, that he just talked about. Death, the burial, and the resurrection of the Messiah. We're to be a witness that, that Jesus Christ is the ruler and he is the Savior. And as the ruler and the Savior, he is the only person who can accept the repentance and provide the forgiveness of sins. Y'all, what do you think it is that got him killed? People tell you, he never claimed to be God. Show me in the scripture where he said, I am God. Well, well uh, okay, those specific words aren't there. He claimed to be able to forgive sins. Mark chapter 2. And Jesus said to this paralyzed guy in Mark chapter 2, and I know I'm supposed to know every verse. It's in Mark chapter 2 somewhere. I can't remember the verse. But he tells this paralyzed guy, he says, Sons, your sin, Son, your sins are forgiven. And this is in front of Pharisees, right? Son, your sins are forgiven. The Pharisees lose their minds. They lose their minds. This dude just said those, that that guy's sins are forgiven. He is blaspheming. They're tearing their shirt. They're losing their mind. Who does this guy think he is? He Who can forgive sin? This is what they're saying, y'all. Who can forgive sin other than God? And Jesus is like, you know, you can almost see him doing that. So did he say, I am God? No, he didn't. But he claimed over and over with the, to have the ability to forgive sin, to have the authority to forgive sin, to have the power to forgive sin. Who can forgive sin other than God? That would be nobody. So that is an absolute claim of godness, right? So don't let people tell you that he never made that claim, that that was Paul wrote all that stuff in. Stop watching the History Channel. Like, read the Bible. Read the Bible. And so in this passage, thank you for the amens. The Holy Spirit is also said to be a witness to these things. The Holy Spirit witnesses to Christ by giving supernatural power and some authority to the disciples to live a righteous life, to live righteously and to proclaim the gospel. Look at John chapter 15. John chapter 15 verse 26 says, when the counselor comes, when the advocate comes, when the helper comes, all these are, are, are names, descriptors for the Holy Spirit. When the counselor comes, and this is Jesus talking, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who keeps going out from the Father, he will testify on my behalf. And you, te you testify because he's testifying. On the Holy Spirit always, always testifies to the Son. And verse 27 of John 15 says, And you testify too because you have been with me from the outset. So the Holy Spirit witnesses to Christ by, by providing supernatural power to Jesus' guise. And then he witnesses to Christ by convicting of sin. It's one of the ministries of the Holy Spirit. You know, if you're a believer and you do something stupid like me and you wake up the next morning and you have this overwhelming sense of conviction, 
And we're talking, I'm not talking about remorse because I got caught. I'm talking about conviction. That's a ministry of the Holy Spirit. Look at John chapter 16, verse 7 says, But I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. This is Jesus talking again. Because if I don't go away, the comforting counselor, the helper, the advocate will not come to you. However, if I do go, I will send him to you. When he comes, he will show that the world is wrong about sin. That's what the Holy Spirit does. He shows you that you are wrong about sin, about righteousness and about judgment, about sin and that people don't put their trust in me, about righteousness in that I am going to the Father and you will no longer see me, about judgment in that the ruler of this world has been judged. So the Holy Spirit can, can witnesses to Christ by convicting people of sin and then the Holy Spirit witnesses by working signs and miracles and wonders through the believers, through the believers. Peter and John healed the guy at the gate. No, the Lord healed the guy at the gate and he used Peter and John. That's what he does. He uses all of us as the body of Christ to get done what he, what he wants to get done. That's we, we play a role and we do have a role and we're part of his plan and it's all underneath his will. But he uses us as believers to be his hands and his feet in a lost world. And note something else in these verses. Pretty important, the Holy Spirit is given to them that obey him. His unbelievable presence and power and guidance and care and purpose and mission can become anybody's, anybody who will obey him. Now, don't start throwing stuff because I'm not done with that because it does not mean that you obey him and you're saved. That's not what it means. But the text does say that the Holy Spirit is given to them that obey him. And the word that's used is obedience, it's not believe. But to believe is to obey. And to obey is to believe. And when we believe, we'll be obedient. And when there's an integral relationship between those two words. And there's an integral relationship between obedience and belief and faith in the heart and in the mind of a Christ follower. If a person believes, he obeys. So the reason number two to be loyal, to be obedient is because he, he put on us to be his witnesses. And the third one is that God has a will and that will is going to get done. That will must be done. Look at, I'll read you, kind of jump through verses 33 through 40. So when the Sanhedrin heard this stuff, they got mad and they wanted to put the emissaries to death. But one of them, Gamaliel, stands up and he addresses the court. And we talk through what, what he says to the court. And at the end of the day, he says, leave them alone. Leave them alone. Because if it is of man, it'll die out on its own and it's of God. You can't do anything about it. And you very well might be fighting against God yourself. And so they heed his advice. So we got to be loyal. We got to be obedient because God's will is going to get done. And he has a plan and a will to get done on the earth. And his providence and his power work it out so that it is done. It doesn't mean that we're robots, but his will is going to get done. And I think that is a major point in all of these verses is God's will. Now, his will was totally rejected 
and totally opposed by unthinking, reactive, emotion-driven men of the world. 2,000 years ago, is it any different today? Absolutely, it's not different. No. People act and react out of emotion and not their, their brain and not their, maybe they would say they're acting out of their heart, but they're rejecting God's will. And in this case, you had these religious leaders, they were guilty of not thinking and they were guilty of acting based on emotion and prejudice instead of reason. And apparently most of those leaders, most of those religious leaders were furious. And the word that's used there is also sometimes translated cut to the heart. But not cut to the heart, convicted in a good way. But it's like their hearts were just cut in two. And, and it wasn't with conviction. It was with anger and wrath and rage. And they were, the, the text says that they were furious. They wanted to kill him. Right then and there, they wanted to kill him. Their minds were set to kill Peter and John. So they reject God's will. But I would say that God's will is recognized and embraced by thinking people. I say it all the time to y'all, man. God doesn't, Scripture doesn't ask you to check your brain at the door. Right? He, he, he doesn't. It's not blind, ignorant faith. It's eyes wide open, intelligent faith. So not all, of, so not all the men of the world act based upon emotion and, and personal desires. Some are rational. Some are controlled, and they're led by a higher purpose than self-centeredness or, or self-interest. And Gamliel was a guy like that. Probably one of the very most famous Jewish rabbis ever, then and even now, even now. He saw something that these unthinking men were missing. He saw how God's will can be seen in world events, how, how God's will can be seen in, in revolution, in the way that it kind of unfolds. And he gave two examples in there, one of Todai and one of Jesus, uh, Judas of Galilee. And so he says, what is not of God's will will come to nothing. Now, it takes trust and faith and belief to, to let and watch that play itself out and not try to jump in the middle of it. Because if the message and the work and the ministry of Christ, of the Jesus movement, if they're the idea of, of deceivers and revolutionaries and self-seekers, and, and if they're the ideas of the insane or of the foolish, of the power-hungry, of, of politically motivated, ultimately they'll be frustrated and exposed by God He's not going to let any, the Lord is not going to let any idea or any work or any movement stand forever that is not of him. That is no different today than it was then. Now, Gamaliel's philosophy was correct. Whatever is not of God is doomed to fail. But there was a little bit of a flaw, and that is that evil philosophies, evil ideas, evil works, deceivers, self-seekers, they may not necessarily be destroyed in the short run. Eventually, yes, but not necessarily quickly. God's got him to do what he wants. Sometimes he probably does nip it in the bud. Sometimes that's not the case. Sometimes evil is allowed to reign in order to awaken men and women for their need, to awaken them to their need for him. 
What is the big picture purpose of the law in the Old Testament? It's to let me know that I can't do it myself and that I'm desperately in need of a Savior. It's the same thing. And God is sovereign. And Romans 8.28 says <clears throat> he's going to stir it all up in a pot and, and, and make something good out of it. There's not a period there. For those who love him and are called according to his purpose. And what is of God cannot ultimately be thrown away, cannot be put out to the curb. If it's of God, that's like this eternal rule. His word is not his, his word, his, his will, his actions cannot ever be overthrown. For sure, not totally and not finally. And the world may try, and the world does try. And the world may achieve temporary successes. Listen, how many of you today, like how long have we looked at just total what appears to be insanity in our world? Like every single day, black is white and white is black and right is wrong and wrong is right. It's nuts. Like it is nuts. You watch the news and you say, how could anybody do that? How could anybody say that? How could anybody not see that, whatever that is? But at the end of the day, if it's not of God, it will not last. We may have to live through the nasty. We are living through the nasty, are we? Raise your hand if you're living in the nasty. I mean, we are. Somebody hashtag that. We're living in the nasty. But God wins. We win. We know what's at the end of the book, y'all. We do. God ultimately causes this spark and this, this life and the life in his word and he causes it to catch fire and then I tell somebody and they tell somebody and this person is led to the Lord and this person is led to the Lord. Revival always comes out of the nasty. Always. You go look back in history. Revival is not birthed out of a bed of roses. Revival is birthed out of nasty, horrible times. Because nasty, horrible times lead people to understand that they have a need. The gates of hell, the Bible says the gates of hell cannot prevail against the Lord's church no matter how great a force of evil is unleashed against it. Look at Matthew 16. And this is right Jesus asked Peter, who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? Peter's answer is, you are the Christ. You are the son of the living God. And he comes right up and says, and I also tell you this, Kepha, Peter. On this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail. The rock's not Peter. The rock is not Peter. The rock is the words Peter said. The rock is this confession that, that Jesus is the Christ. The church is built on the confession that Jesus is the Christ. What are the gates of hell not going to prevail against? That Jesus is the Christ. Y'all get that? Don't go down the road that Peter's the rock. Peter ain't a rock. So play on words. So that's the advice of, of Gamaliel, who was the thinking man of the world. Even Luke even writes that he was highly regarded by some of the people. No, he's highly regarded by all the people. Jews, Gentiles, Christ followers, they all regard Gamaliel highly. 
And he says, leave those people alone. Let them go on doing the good that they're doing. Let them reap the benefits of their ministry. If they're not of God, they'll just soon disappear from the scene. And if they are of God, any force in the world can't overthrow them. And you might find yourself fighting against God. Jews don't want to find themselves fighting against God. Somebody tell me what Israel means. Somebody that wasn't here this weekend. What, all right, somebody that was here this weekend. What does Israel mean? The word. Wrestles with God. We say wrestles with God. There's an A instead of an E. The word means wrestles with God. They don't, but they don't want to be. That's a play on words too. That's God kind of giggling. You obstinate people who want to fight with me, you act like you don't, but I'm going to name you. I'm going to name your whole nation. And your name is, of your nation is going to be people that want to fight with me all the time. It's, it's comical, y'all. But the council agreed they had the guys beaten for preaching in the name of Jesus, and they issued that law again. Stop talking about that man. Stop. He didn't, he didn't come out of that grave alive. Stop talking about him. Y'all stole the body. He didn't really die. Some, some nonsense that they, that they, Jews to this day, like you can't, I, I, that night I got saved and I said to my parents, I got saved. They said, do you actually believe that, that he, they didn't say his name, that he came back to life? And I'm like, yeah. Well, you're smarter than that. That's what they said. I didn't check my brain at the door. The best evidence is he walked out of the grave alive. That's a whole other six-hour conversation. But they say, don't say that name again, y'all. Matthew chapter 12, Jesus says, if you ain't for me, you're against me. He didn't say it quite like that, but he said, if you ain't for me, you're, you're against me. And those who don't gather with me are scattering. So reason three is that God's will ultimately will be done. Last reason I'm going to give you today, to be obedient, to, to be loyal, is that God is able to, and there's evidence all over Scripture over and over and over, that God is able, what do we have on the screen? To deliver us through hardship. Remember last week we said it doesn't always happen that he delivers us from hardship. Sometimes he does. Praise God, sometimes he does. But he's always able to deliver us through hardship. Hardship, And if he's able to deliver us through hardship, that means that there's going to be hardship, right? There's going to be hardship. Take it to the bank. It's coming. And if you hadn't had hardship yet, it's coming at some point in our lives. Say that again. Stand by. Stand by. That's right. Verse 41 and 2, the pinnacle of this passage. The emissaries, the apostles left the Sanhedrin sad with their tail tucked between their legs. No, they left the Sanhedrin they left the courtroom. They just got hammered, beaten, told to shut up, and they leave the courtroom overjoyed at having been considered worthy of suffering disgrace on account of him. And not for a single day, either in the temple, court, or in private homes, not for a single day did they shut up. They never shut up. They never stopped teaching and preaching the, the best news ever on the planet that Jesus is the Christ. And so we got to be loyal, we got to be obedient because we, we, 
we're always delivered through hardship. God stirs up in those guys' persecuted hearts. It's crazy. A sense of privilege. They felt privileged. That's like makes no sense. Flogging, we don't even know what flogging means. They weren't just, you know, they didn't grab their, their, their hand and turn their hand like that and just pop them a little bit. They got beaten. They got beaten. And they considered that a privilege. A privilege. They counted themselves privileged to suffer shame for Christ. God stirred up in that persecuted heart a sense of joy. The Bible says, what does it say? They left overjoyed, not just joyful, but overjoyed. Their cup of joy is overflowing because they got beaten for their Lord and Savior. He stirs up in, in, a, in the persecuted heart a sense of courage and a sense of mission. Where do we see that? What did they do? What's the very last verse say? They continued every day. Every day, whether it's in somebody's house or whether it's in the temple, preaching and teaching, despite the opposition, they're compelled to share the good news of the gospel. What is that? That God sent his son into the world to save men. And I am sure that when Paul is writing Romans, that Paul is thinking about this event. At the very beginning of Romans, chapter 1, it's like almost my most favorite words in Scripture. For I am not ashamed of the gospel. There is no doubt in my mind that Paul is thinking back about the birth of the church. And the odds, he may have been there, don't know if he was or not. Bible doesn't really tell us. But he, but he knows the stories because Peter and John and the guys sitting around the campfire, they talk about it. They talk about stuff. And so when Paul writes, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, why is he not ashamed of the gospel? Because it is the, it is the means of bringing salvation to the world. And he's thinking about, I'm not ashamed of it. Peter and John weren't ashamed of it. They got beaten and arrested and went right back to doing it again. Why? Because if I got to obey God or obey men, I'm obeying God. And that is what Paul is saying. It's not ashamed. And Paul suffered too. Many gets thrown in jail multiple times. And all of the stuff in Paul's life, bunches of trials, bunches of trials. James, look at James in chapter 1. James says, regard it all as joy. Count it as joy. My brothers, when you face what? Various kinds of trials, various kinds of temptations, uh, various kinds of tribulation. When the world is throwing the junk at you, I won't call the worship team up. Um, when the world is throwing the junk at you, James says, count it for joy. Count it for joy. Because you know, this is James talking, you know that the testing of your faith, the testing of your trust, the testing of your belief produces perseverance. What happens when we're tested and God delivers us through it? Do we get stronger or weaker? Read John 15 about the vine. The vine abide in me, Jesus says. And if you're, if you're one of the branches that gets cut, does, if I'm the branch and the vine dresser comes up and cuts me, is that going to feel good or bad? But what happens Six months later, what's that branch look like? It's bearing more and more and more fruit. He works through those things. And James says, count it for joy because it produces perseverance. 
and let perseverance work and make me complete and make me whole and make me lacking in nothing. I'll read you one more verse and then we'll kind of be done. Got to get my specs on. It's 1 Peter. Think about it. Who wrote 1 Peter? That's not a difficult question. Peter. Who just got beaten in Acts chapters 4 and 5? He's one of them that got beaten. 20 years later, Peter writes this. Dear friends, this is 1 Peter chapter 5, verse starts in verse 12. Dear friends, don't regard as strange the fiery ordeal occurring among you to test you as if something extraordinary were happening to you. He's kind of saying expect it. Verse 13, rather to the extent that you share the fellowship of the Messiah's sufferings, rejoice so that you will rejoice even more when his glory is revealed. If you are being insulted because you bear the name of the Messiah, how blessed are you? For the spirit of the Shekinah glory, that is the spirit of God is resting on you. How blessed are you if you're getting flogged for the Lord, you can take it to the bank that you know his glory is resting upon you. If you ain't getting hammered a little bit, you probably ain't doing something right. Expect it. It's almost the same thing we talked about last week. Expect it. Expect them to tell you that you're crazy. I wear it as a badge of honor, as a badge of courage. You're just a Jesus freak. Okay. Like, okay. I mean, like, I'm totally okay with that. But if I got to obey God or if I got to obey men, I'm obeying God. That's the, that's the bottom line. Those two verses, pinnacle of that passage, my encouragement to you is that right there. Don't for a single day. I don't care if you're at work. I don't care if you're at school. I don't care if you work for the federal government, state government, the Columbus Consolidated government. Don't for a single day. And if you're at your friend's house or your uncle's house or your mama or your daddy's house or your son or daughter's house, don't stop proclaiming the gospel. Don't stop proclaiming the gospel. Now, some of that proclamation of the gospel is what you do. Let them see you be the hands and the feet. And when you have the opportunity to get some sound waves coming out of your mouth and into their ears, of course, of course. But don't stop preaching the gospel. It's the power of salvation. And I'm telling you today, if you don't know him, if you are not in a relationship with him, he loves you more than you could ever imagine, despite the stupid stuff that all of us have done in our lives. He wants to be in a relationship with you. He wants to be in a relationship with me. He don't need me. He wants me. And he wants me, I was going to say despite, maybe in spite of all of my flaws and all of my imperfections, he wants to be in a relationship with me. Don't let anybody tell you you're not worthy. None of us are worthy. That's what grace is. Y'all, and so if you, you can shut the lights down a little bit if you want. If you don't know him, we started off a little bit talking about repentance today. I got to turn away from the sin and I turn towards the Lord and I cry out to him to save me. 
I believe that he died on a cross to to, to, to pay the penalty for the sin that's got to be paid for. And I can pay for it myself if I want to. With an eternity in hell, I could. That'd be kind of ignorant because the offer is there, y'all. So I repent of my sin. I turn away from it, turn towards him. Comes out of my mouth. Lord, I believe that you died on the cross to save me. Please, Lord, save me. I believe that you walked out of the grave alive. Please, Lord, save me, and he will do that. If you're watching on TV and that happened to you today, if you're sitting in here and that happened to you today, our we've got prayer team people back there, and they would love to put their arm around you, bear your burdens, rejoice in your salvation, pray whatever it is you would like to pray uh, about. So visit them. Well, let me pray. Lord, we love you. We thank you for your grace and mercy. We don't deserve it, Lord, but we thank you for it. And Lord, I lift the, the, the people in, in our church family up to you, their families up to you, Lord. I lift churches up across Columbus, beautiful, awesome, gospel-centered, Jesus-focused churches all around our city. Lord, I lift them up to you, keep them safe. Keep them bold, keep them courageous, keep them on your mission. Keep them leading people to Christ. Let them stay focused on the majors. And Lord, we love you in Jesus' name, amen. Savior say, thy strength indeed is small, child of weakness watch and pray, find in me thine old and Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe, and sin had left the crown.
Great day. We'll see you next week.